look at your word, your perfect word, the word you have given to us as a gift from you, to hear from you. And um, we are thankful for that. Um, right now, I just pray that you will just do something in our hearts and our minds. Open them up to your word. In your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> and we will be in Romans once again. Romans chapter 14. Garo, you want to you turn it down just a little bit? I'm getting a little bit of feedback up here. Thank you. Um, so Romans chapter 14. We're going to be starting in verse 1 and ending in verse 12. So if you have your Bibles, please open them up there too. Romans chapter 14, and let me go ahead and read that. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his mind The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, in honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us live to himself, and none of us die to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that we might be both, he might be both Lord of the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us, will give an account of himself to God. Once more, let me pray. Father God, I, I just, we need you. We need you to open our hearts, open our minds to what you want us to see and hear here this morning. Um, we um, are thankful for how much you love us, and once again, how much you have given yourself to us through your word. And once again, we, uh, we just pray that you will show us what you want us to see here this morning. In your name I pray, amen. So I was reading this, um, it really brought back, in, to my mind, uh, a time back in the summer of 95, it was right after I had graduated from high school, I graduated in 94, and if you do the math, yes, I'm old, but I was in Romania. Right out of high school, I went on a missions trip. I was there for, for a while, about a year, uh, a commitment to do the, the mission. And in the summertime, there was an opportunity for me to participate in a, a summer team. A, uh, um, we went to Hungary to train, and then we went back into Romania, and we did some street ministry, street evangelism, 
things of that nature. And so the teams were split up, and it was very multicultural. There was a team that I was on, probably had close to 15, 20 people with about, I want to say, at least 10 to 12 different nationalities. And it was really interesting to do devotions because there were some people that couldn't speak a word of English, and there was maybe uh, uh, somebody over here that could only speak French. And so there was a translation line that went through so that she could understand what we were talking about in our morning devotions. All that to be said, it was a melting pot, if you will, <laughs> of different perspectives from the Bible. And every, every person there was a believer, or at least professed to be a believer, and every believer came from a different nationality, a different, different region of the world. And in that meant that there were different teachings from their evangelical churches. So let me give you a few examples. You had the Koreans that came in, and they abstained from coffee, of all things. Yeah. Yeah. And so you think about that. Even here in America, what do we have now? Christian coffee houses. They abstained from coffee because they had caffeine and they considered it a drug. Makes sense. And in mornings when everybody else was drinking their coffee, they had what they called barley tea. Well, I'm assuming it was made out of barley. I didn't try it. I didn't want to. But they sipped on their barley tea. You had the Germans who, between services, had smoke breaks. And then you had some Romanians that drank wine, made homemade wine, but abstained from cigarettes and, and some other things, including, including, I found out the hard way, one uh, evening when we were having some downtime, I had my Walkman on. And I think Matt Miller alluded to how the 90s was weird with, with some Christian music last week. All I can say is it was a golden time for that. And I think, I think it was actually maybe DC Talk who he alluded to last week that was in my earphones. And I was, I was relaxing, kind of jamming out to them. And all of a sudden, this Romanian girl comes over, rips my headsets off, and slaps me across the face saying, rock music is bad. Now this, obviously we were not the church. And it was a very temporary team. It was a, it was a team to go out and share Jesus with people. However, this is just a microcosm, if you will, of what was kind of going on, not exactly the same, but what was kind of going on in the church in Rome when Paul was writing to them. And you see this. It says, you know, the, 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 right out of the gate, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. And so we have, right now, as Paul's writing this, we have this, this issue in Rome over opinions, over disputable matters, if you will. 
I think the NIV says it that way. The first thing out of the gate that Paul talks about is foods. You can see that through one through four. And then you see him bring up days. And so there are some disputable matters, opinions over days. And then later on in the chapter, there's, there's a, a little bit of talk about wine and drinking wine. And so you, you have that set up in the church in Rome where there's a division happening between what Paul calls the stronger Christians, the stronger in faith, who have more Christian liberties, if you will. Their conscience isn't driving at certain things. And then you have the weaker brothers. Now notice they are, they are brothers. But they are disputing over these opinions. The, the stronger brother eats everything. The weaker brother, as Paul says, only eats vegetables. I will point out that vegetarians are weaker than no, I, I don't want to go there. But <laughs> the stronger doesn't hold the days higher than one day over the other. The weaker celebrates and honors certain days. And then drinks wine is, is what's going on with the stronger brother. And I don't, I don't think he's talking about getting drunk here. I think it's just the fact that they drink wine and the weaker brother abstains from wine, from alcohol. And so if, if we hash this out, what's going on here? Well, there's a culture clash happening here in the Roman church. As, as Christianity is spreading, it's not only down to the Jews it is opening up to the Gentiles, people that are not of Jewish heritage. And so a lot of these people that we would say that are stronger in their faith, they understand grace, they're, they're, they're oh my goodness, they get saved, they put their trust in Jesus. Well, they have none of this background from the Jewish heritage. And so they grew up Roman. They, they're, they're completely foreign to the whole idea of, of dietary restrictions, that you can't eat pork and, and numerous other things. If you want to check it out, go, go in the Old Testament, Leviticus. Uh, there's, there's a couple other places where there is a lot of stuff, a lot of food that you as a Hebrew, as a Jewish person, are not allowed to eat. None of this was in their background. And as, as we've seen later, God told Peter, eat of it and so there's no dietary restrictions and they're just they're just eating their bacon sandwich the weaker brother however most likely grew up in a Jewish heritage Hebrew heritage and he might even be repulsed by the fact that he's eating a ham sandwich So there was no eating restrictions for the stronger as he grew up. There's no, there was no ceremonial laws that you had to work out in your background. Also, there was no 
and special days, most likely for the Gentile believer. The Sabbath was a very integral part of worshiping God in the Jewish tradition. And so they would still want to hold that day high in a lot of ways. And, and for, the, for the stronger, the, the Roman, probably had no idea why we would even do something like that. And so this, this collision, if you will, of two different cultures being brought up in two different cultures brought friction, brought a, a yeah, not being able to like get along. They're like, oh man, he's eating pork over here. And the, and the guy eating pork, the stronger is like, what's wrong with eating pork? What's wrong with you? Bacon is good. And Paul says, stop this. Stop this. Stop doing this to your brothers. He points out to the stronger. Don't despise. Don't despise your weaker brother. In other words, don't make fun of him. Don't berate him. And he also looks at the weaker brother and says, Stop judging. And I, I believe, I believe it's, it's, they were literally probably judging the hearts of the stronger brother. It's usually what happens when we judge people, right? It's not just about judging their motive or, or their actions. We a lot of times want to judge their motives on top of that. And so I believe this was, this was what was happening. They were colliding in, in this. The stronger, I mean, I can just see it right now. You know, like the weaker brothers over here, no, 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 we can't, we can't eat pork, and here you have the stronger brother walking around with a BLT. I really, I really believe that, you know, and, and, and Paul had set this up in Romans, even Romans 12. 12, 10, it says, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. This is the nooks and crannies of showing honor to each other. Showing brotherly affection. He's getting down into the, into the weeds now. But that principle was put out a couple chapters before. Even in Romans 13, 8, it says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Romans 13, 10. Love does not does no wrong in, to a neighbor therefore love is the fulfilling of the law so so paul is really doubling down here after after putting this this base down for them saying you know it's all about loving the other brother and so i i really believe that some of the principles to glean from this number one and, and notice he doesn't say just put up with people's sins he's saying opinions and I've seen people use this verse I've seen people use this verse to say well we can we don't we don't talk about sin in the church because we just we just you're supposed to let your brother do whatever no no there's a difference between clear biblical preaching teaching that Paul has laid down versus opinions disputable matters or preferences 
So one who is living in clear, deliberate, unbashful, unashamed sin, it would be unloving for me not to go to my brother and to share that with him and say, stop doing that, please. Now there's, there's definitely a way of doing that, and the Bible has that set up, to come to him humbly, to come to him in a loving manner to share that with him. And we need to, at the forefront of everything here we do, we need to be love in our brother and loving, loving God out of that. But in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, and growing up in the church all my, almost all my life, we have seen second or third tier preferences become the major thing. So we, we absolutely have to major on the majors, not major on the minors. You know, and I, I, just, I just compiled a list here of some of the things I hear, even in my own, even in my own um, background, if you will. But, you know, some of these preferences, if you will, some of the opinions that, that, that people put at the forefront of things. Um, driving a car, Holmes County, it's prevalent, right? Um, if you can drive a car. Playing cards. Maybe you're brought up in a church where you're, man, you can't play cards. Dancing. How you dress. I, I was brought up in a church where you were never allowed wearing blue jeans. Except for one Sunday a month, or one Sunday a year. And that was when we went to the ball game. Um, for some reason, one Sunday was less lessen the, 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 the standard. Um, movies. Not a lot going to the movies. Facial hair. There's even denominations right now, not just to have facial hair, but there's denominations out there. I watched, I watched an hour debate on you're not allowed having facial hair. It's more holy not to have facial hair. It's more humble not to have facial hair. TVs. Can you have a TV? Jewelry. Tattoos. I remember my first tattoo. My dad was not very happy. Do I have to wear a tie and coat to church? Haircuts. It's over my ears. Man, that's not very holy. At least for a guy. Women, yes. And even smoking. Even smoking can be debatable, right? Is it, is it something good for your body? I would say not, but does it make you anything less of a Christian to smoke? R.C. Sproul smoked a lot of cigarettes in his day. And he's a great theologian who loved the Lord. A lot of times, these things drive the church, drive different churches, drive different denominations, drive things, and it becomes very legalistic. And I will say this, legalism usually lends itself to becoming very cookie-cutter. So everybody has to look the same. And all of a sudden, you start looking and seeing if the dresses are how many inches off the floor, and you have to measure the haircut, and you better have the right suit and tie on. Otherwise, Otherwise, you are in big trouble.
As we've seen in here, there was even debate amongst a stronger and weaker brother about the days of the week. And most likely, it, was, it was, had something to do with, with the observations of different feasts. But even, even in verse 6, it says, the one who observes the day. So I would, I would dare say it's probably the Lord's day that they were debating on. And so Sunday... I grew up in a, a church that where you, you weren't allowed doing a lot of things on Sunday. You had to keep it holy. So you can't eat out. And even right now, there's, there's some brothers and sisters, even in this community as we speak, maybe some people in this church, that, that debate on this. And so we cannot let this divide us. But, you know, I won't eat out. I know brothers that will not eat out after church because they have a strong feeling on that. Can't play golf, can't watch football, can't cook, can't travel, can't play games. All of those things, right? All those things could become something that drives you for Sunday. And honestly, there, there, there's kind of a two positions in, in the church today of what Sunday would look like. One would be Sunday becomes the Christian Sabbath, that, that, that the Sabbath has now transferred over to, to Sunday. And therefore, all those regulations I should be keeping. The other one is that Sunday is the Lord's day. And the reason that it, it, we leave behind the regulations of the Sabbath, but we gather together because Christ was risen on the first day of the week. And this is when we gather to worship him. And there's a lot more, a lot more liberty, if you will, when you look at it that way. And maybe even, even somebody that takes that view doesn't want to eat out. It's all right. Somebody that, and I ha- I'll admit, I eat out after church sometimes. It's okay. I, I'm not going to force that person to go out and eat with me. That would be very self-centered of me to do that and try to try to bulldog my way into making that happen. I need to accept his conscience and his view on that just as much as he needs to accept mine. But we need to, above all, honor each other and have brotherly affection for each other. So we need to accept one another. We need to love one another. Accept the opinions of the other. Don't judge. Don't despise. Which brother are you at times? Are you the weaker? Are you judging? He's got a tattoo. He's not very spiritual. Are you the stronger? Don't despise. I can't believe that they don't go along and do that. Who do they think they are? And honestly, folks, there might be a difference in how you were raised and what church you were raised. Versus maybe not even being raised in the church at all. Maybe church is completely foreign to you. And I had a conversation. I was down at Watermark a couple of years ago for a, a pastor's conference, and one of their staff members was there. 
And he was just saying how, how he feels like he lost so much because he wasn't raised in the church. He came from a broken home, um, just, just a lot of junk in his past. And he was just like kind of down on himself like, oh man, I just, I'm just, I wish I could have been raised in a godly home. I wish I could have gone to Sunday school. I wish I wouldn't be behind the eight ball on all this. And I looked at him, I said, well, honestly, there's times when I wish I wouldn't have been raised in the church because of all the legalism that, that I, was, I was penetrated into my life with. And I'm unraveling some of that even in my own life of what does grace really mean rather than me trying to perform for God. And it was, a, it was a really interesting conversation because no matter what your background is, we're all messed up. Right? We're all messed up. And you can be raised in a very healthy home, but there's no such thing as a perfect home. And every one of us can probably look back on how we were raised and to know that, man, I wish this wouldn't have happened. I wish that would have happened. I wish this couldn't have happened. And all of that, though, a lot of times, how we were raised, what our background is, is how we view things. And so that, that is one thing that we have to take into account for those around us in the church. Be humble with one another. You know what? You can be right and still be wrong. What do I mean by that? Once again, I, I was thinking a lot about the church I grew up in. I, I had a Sunday school teacher that was, I, I, I would say to this day, was teaching an incorrect doctrine. But my attitude was not very good. And this was when I was probably a sixth grader. So, I, we got into it about the doctrine and in the end of it she started crying and I laughed in her face I regret those actions to this day I think back on it there was absolutely no love in, in the way I responded to her absolutely no love even though I would say that my position that I had was correct and so can we be humble with each, other, uh, with each other? Once again, I can be right and yet very, 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 very wrong on how I proceed. Paul goes on in, in verse 5, he says, let us be fully convinced in our minds about our opinions. Each one should be fully convinced in his mind. Once again, this is about opinions, about the things that are up in the air. And, and, and I, I, would, I ask myself in this, how? how? How would we do this? Well, first off, we need to study Scripture. Our conscience must be informed by Scripture. Our conscience must be tempered by Scripture. We need to seek Christ. What would Jesus say about this issue? We need to be guided by the Holy Spirit. In the midst of this, 
am I being led by the Holy Spirit? I would dare say, am I displaying the fruits of the Spirit that the Bible talks about? Do I have peace, love, joy in the midst of this? Or am I being consumed? I can't believe they're doing that. And we need to be well taught by sound doctrine teachers. People that we trust. Do they line up with scripture? We need to constantly be looking at what is being taught, what is being preached. Looking at the scripture and saying, is this actually what scripture says? Let us be fully convinced in our minds. We need to have the right motivation. Verse 6. We need to do it in the honor of the Lord. Do all things in the honor of the Lord. And really giving thanks in it. So no matter where you land on these opinions, do it for the Lord. And sometimes that might be a good check for myself. If I look at myself in the mirror and say, am I actually doing this for the Lord or am I doing it for me? Is this opinion being driven by what the Lord wants or what I want? Everything we do, everything we do, work. Why do you go to work? To get a paycheck? Or do you believe, do you believe that God has you there for a purpose? That in a way, it's actually your mission field. Our marriages, those of us that are married, married, how better would it be if we looked at it, our marriage, that it's all about the Lord rather than me? And I need to do it, I need to be a better husband in the honor of the Lord rather than just being a husband. And even our hobbies, even our hobbies need to be in the honor of the Lord. It is amazing. A lot of you guys know I like firearms. I shoot, I shoot guns. It is amazing to me how many people, how many people they start talking about guns, maybe even go off the range, and it opens conversations up about Jesus all the time. It is amazing to me that God will even use guns. But no matter what we do, we need to, we need to do everything our whole life, view our whole life as in honor of the Lord. Verse 7 through 9. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live, whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. As believers, we've put our trust in Jesus. It's no longer about us. Not just about us going whatever we want to do. It's not the Frank Sinatra song, I'll do it my way. 
from the moment we are born again, it is all about and for the glory and honor of God, of Jesus. We actually die to ourselves. That's how the Bible talks. We must deny ourselves, take up our cross daily. That's what Matthew chapter 16 says. It is more about Jesus than it is about me. And I really believe that, you know, as, as Paul's having this conversation, he's reminding them this. Verse 7, we must die well. What? Verse 8, live well, live for the Lord. What does that mean? For his glory, his kingdom, his gospel, his will, his work, his purposes. And, and honestly, I believe this talks about our, our, our physical death, too. Christ has us even to our physical death. How we live matters to God. We live to praise him. How we die matters to God as well. If and when we die, are we going to have praise of the Lord on our lips? Or we become a bitter old man that goes to our graves. I, I've shared this story before, but it just is so applicable here. And as I was at Sycamore, as a chaplain, we had a, a former pastor that was there passing away from cancer. And I usually tear up talking about this because it just really just has changed my whole view of what it looks like to die, to die well, to die for the Lord. Long, long cancer treatments, and his wife, and he, by the time he got to Sycamore, I didn't get to have many, many conversations with him because he was just physically so worn out, he was sleeping most of the time on hospice. Had, had quite a few conversations with his wife before he passed away, and I think he was only there for about a week and a half before he passed but she said every cancer treatment, every time he had to go to the treatment, he was in a good mood. He had joy. He would be encouraging to the doctors and the nurses as he was getting the chemo treatment. And this is something that you, is so foreign to them because everybody that comes walking in there doesn't want to be there first and foremost but is in a bad place of mind a lot of times because they're having to go through this. And that's not to negate that, that, right? Because anybody in their right mind is going to be going through that. Why is this happening to me? Yet he looked at it as a, as a platform, his pulpit in the moment, to share Jesus with these people. Amazing story. And his attitude was always that that I am praising God even in the midst of this. And it touched so many lives because of that. I've heard people say, I'm, there's no way I'll go to the nursing home. That man has changed my whole view of me. If I have to go to the nursing home, it's because God's going to use me in the nursing home in that way, in that moment. We no longer belong to ourselves 
or to this world system. We're, we're, we're simply passing away. We're passing through this, this world that we live in. We're not our own. We're bought with a price, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says. Paul goes on in verse 9. He, Christ, died and lived again, Lord of both the dead and the living. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus is Lord. He's not just my Savior. He is Lord of my life. He has control of my life when I proclaim that. By the way, so much better with him Lord of my life than me being trying to be Lord of my own life. I don't live for myself. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. My Savior is now my ruler. And you can't separate that. You absolutely cannot separate that. And if you try, you're going to go down a road that's probably not going to be good. Verse 10. Why do you, and this is a plural you, plural in the Greek, pass judgment, he's talking about the weaker brother, looking at their hearts, looking at their motives, on your brother. Once again, he said it's your brother in Christ. He goes on. Why do you, plural, to the stronger, despise your brother, make fun, ridicule, think less of him. When these things are going on, you are elevating yourself, not humbling yourself. You are elevating yourself above others. The Bible is very clear. We need to humble ourselves. Once again, these things need to, need to stop. But then Paul goes on for a little more explanation here. He goes, For we, believers, will all stand, give an account, before the judgment seat of God. Before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul uses God here, but it's interchangeable. And I believe he's really showing the deity of Christ because uh, other places it's called the judgment seat of Christ. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, God is going to sort all these things out. He's going to sort it out perfectly. So why are we trying to figure it out right now? How dare I try to judge my brother, who is actually a servant, as it says in verse 4, a servant of who? God. Second Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one of us may receive what is due to him, due for him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This judgment, this judgment that he's talking about right here is not criminal judgment. Christ has already taken care of that. Our sin, past, present, future, has been dealt with 
when we have put our trust in him. This is a secondary judgment that the Bible talks about. This judgment is about a servant to his master. How well have you done? How well have you done for God? How faithful have we been? Once again, this is not about heaven or hell. It's about approval or disapproval. And right here, verse 11, from, it's from Isaiah, the Old Testament. God is swearing on himself that as long as I live, it's going to happen. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess to God. Believers must be here before Christ. Now, as I as read the, um, the verse out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says whether good or bad. If you look at that word bad, it actually translates into worthless, not any eternal value. It's not the bad that we look at as like in sin. So what he is judging is the good, the works, that I, I believe he would be talking about in Ephesians. The, God, the works that God has prepared in advance for us to do, so it's actually his works, not mine, right? That has eternal value. That God's doing this through me. And the bad, if you will, is the worthless stuff. The stuff that has nothing of value for all eternity. Again, we're saved by grace, but we are going to be, God's going to look at these things that we've done with the, with the things that he's given us. And once again, Jesus will sort all of this out. So I want to double down on this. Evil, the sin, this will be sorted out. And as it says in, earlier in, in chapter 12, the full wrath of God is going to be poured out on our sin. Every one of us, the full wrath of God's going to be poured out in our sin. It's either, it's either in hell, completely separated from him for all eternity, or the other place that has been sorted out and has already been taken care of is on the cross. The full wrath of God has come down on Jesus because of the sins of the world. If you have put your trust in Jesus, the full wrath of God against my sin has already been taken care of. That's amazing. And right now, I would encourage you, I don't know where you're at with the Lord. But if you have not put your trust in Jesus, your faith in Jesus, your trust in Jesus for what he has done, I would encourage you right now to scream out, Jesus, you are my Lord, and put your trust in what he has done for you. The good we have done as a believer will be rewarded. The bad, the uselessness stuff, it's going to be thrown away and burned up. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at 11 going through 13. For no one can lay any foundation other than what has already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. For what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved but only as escaping through the flames. Verse 15, no eternal value. Was it for the Lord and his glory, or was it for me? And you know, the thing is, only you and I can answer that to the Lord. 1 Corinthians four or five, the thing is, we're, our, our, our motives are even going to be looked at. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness. He will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. So it's not just what we do, but it's why we do things that God looks at. I remember growing up in a church, um, one of the leaders of the church stood up one day and he was proclaiming, it's weird, he was proclaiming how these people on their deathbeds, they make a confession, yeah, they'll go to heaven, but man, I'm, I'm, I'm poor, I, I, I'm, I'm investing in heaven, I've got all these rewards waiting on me because I've done all this stuff for the Lord. I don't know his motives in that, but that's really weird. That's really weird. And I think it's the wrong motive. If we are even trying to get stuff from God in heaven, we're already at the wrong motive. It's more about what God wants me to do out of our love for him. And then verse 12. So then, each of us, believers, will give an account of himself to God. We'll give an answer to God. What will we have to give an account to? Well, my life. My work, my talents, my resources, and my opportunities that he has given me. All those things that he has given me. He gives us opportunities. Sometimes I squander those opportunities. He gives us resources. We live in one of the richest countries in the world. My talents. I, you know, where do, where do certain people's talents come from? It, it all comes from the Lord, what he gives us. So then what? Now what? I would encourage us, I would encourage us to look, look at ourselves Am I being judgmental towards my brother? Do I despise my brother? We need to look at the cross and confess any of those sins that we may find in our, our, our hearts as we look at those things. 
And then look ahead to the judgment seat of Christ. It's going to be a good day because we're going to be with Jesus regardless. But I would encourage us to make our lives matter in the view of eternity. God has us here for a very specific reason at this very specific time in a specific place. Are we making the most of that? Or do we squander it? And we say, well, we got tomorrow. Um, this morning we're going to be doing communion. Nate, you come on up. And uh, those of us that, those of you helping with communion, come on down. One of the other, one of the other things that I, I, I just want to share as I was thinking about, and a lot of times we think about the rewards that we're going to get from the Lord, Right? And um, I, love, I love this scripture from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 19 through 20. This is what it says. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory? And by the way, the Bible is very clear. All the crowns that we're going to get, we're going to cast them back at Jesus' feet. Because it's really his, not mine. But what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes. Is it not you? Is it not you? And Paul was saying this to the church. And I truly believe one of the biggest rewards that we will get when we're in heaven is that I get to see some of you folks there. What better reward than to sit? And this is the other thing. After the judgment seat of Christ, what's going to happen? We're going to be sitting at a feast with Jesus together. And this is one thing that the communion table is to help represent. What is coming? The fact that we will have a feast with Jesus. But it's not just me and Jesus. It's all of us in Jesus. And so, all those hard times that we went through as a church, as believers, walking through this life, helping each other, we will be together in the presence of the Lord. And I believe that we're going to reminisce about some of the hard times. Remember when you did this. Remember when you gave me that word. Remember when you came over and helped me do this. Remember when you shared Jesus with me and God saved me. Those are all the rewards, I believe, one of the biggest rewards that we're going to get from Jesus is the fact that we are going to have a perfect community and a perfect relationship in Jesus. It's really, really wow to think about. Hopefully it's encouragement.